if you didn't like the joke, those who were triggered, you are the joke. <laughs> Welcome to Consumer Choice Radio. We're broadcasting on the Big Talker 106.7 FM every single Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern. Our shows and programs and past archive are over there on ConsumerChoiceRadio.com. You can go back and listen to those amazing interviews, great insights, and uh, just all the all the fun that we've been having here the last couple of months. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm one half of your host, Yael Osowski, coming to you from Vienna, Austria. We're checking in. Uh, we're surviving through the fall and making sure all is going well. And the guy who's uh, helping me keep it together, coming to us from Toronto, Ontario, my co-host, David Clement. David, how goes it? Well, it's going well. It's going well. Another week, another exciting show. Uh, hope to have a couple big... Uh, guest announcements over the next two to three shows, so stay tuned for that. And yeah, thanks for for joining us for another uh, another episode of Consumer Choice Radio. Yeah, it's going to be fun to get uh, the next couple of guests on. Uh, definitely some interesting conversations we've had the last couple of weeks. Uh, we had Melissa Chen on. We had Jacob Greer. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we we just had like very good quality of guests. And uh, really good, I guess, analysis of, on everything that's happening. And uh, David has some some secrets there up his sleeve uh, that he'll be presenting to us very soon here on the program. Yes, yes, I won't uh, won't give away those secrets secrets quite yet. Not but, yet, uh, but uh, there's plenty of other secrets to unveil, David. And uh, there's a lot that's happening in the media and the news. Uh, if you are yeah. listening to this live, this well, is broadcasting out on the 17th of October getting really close to election day and uh election day in the united states means that there's a a lot of dirty tricks online so if any of you have been paying (laughs) attention to what's happening there's a lot of dirty stuff some some topless photos some uh some crack fueled photos (laughs) some social media censorship Uh, it's just a just another day in october david yeah and the whole situation i mean i don't I will say, I, admittedly, I don't have all of the information to really make an informed judgment on the merits of the New York Post article, but I can say that the reaction was pretty scary. And if, uh, if you were just to give the the breakdown as to yeah. to what this is, I, I did try to read through it a little bit, but uh, let's see if you can give so, a condensed version for the listeners. Yeah. So here's here's my understanding, and feel free to add anything if I miss it. So basically, somebody had a laptop that was owned by Hunter Biden, which is Joe Biden's son. That laptop got brought into a computer repair store. It never got picked up. The owner of the computer repair store looked in, tried to give the laptop back to the owner. He looked into what was on it, and he basically found a bunch of... Uh, questionable photos of Hunter Biden um, and emails from uh, of, of Hunter Biden's. Uh, it's particularly in regards to his business in Ukraine, which has long been a talking point of the president saying that Hunter Biden and Joe Biden were corrupt and that Hunter was using Joe as the vice president to basically get very lucrative board positions and all of that jazz. So that laptop ends up getting turned over to the FBI um, and the store owner creates a copy and then gives the copy to Rudy Giuliani. That gets to the New York Post. They publish a story with the photos and pictures of the FBI subpoena for the laptop. And the whole gist of the story is that uh, it's considered for, for some as the smoking gun that kind of confirms that um, that Joe Biden was in on some of Hunter's shenanigans. His business now, business shenanigans in uh, his Ukraine business shenanigans and China not his, and elsewhere. Yeah, yeah, not his personal shenanigans. His business shenanigans. Um, so the New York Post publishes that. I mean, it goes viral in about a minute. Um, 
And then all of a sudden, Twitter starts to actually censor the article. So they prevent people from sharing the link. Um, they're kind of actively censoring the, um, the, the reposting of the link. And then after the fact, they say, we censored it because the images were produced from a hack and we don't publish hacked material or stolen material. Um, which for anyone who followed the Edward Snowden affair, that is a lie. Oh yeah. Well, <laughs> and, and, and anything related to, to Trump and his taxes or, or anything else the last couple of years, there's plenty of material there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a lie. Um, so it just seemed very strange that Twitter would jump on the train of trying to censor this. Now, Washington Post basically did um, did try and myth bust one. Or did they do a fact check? Fact yeah, check. one one key aspect, which was whether or not Joe Biden was actually involved in any meeting with. Um, some of the players in Ukraine and whether or not he was trying to have um, someone ousted because of their investigation into the company that Hunter Biden was on the board of. And so they attempted to fact check that and say that wasn't actually true. I mean, the pictures are obviously real. The laptop is, is real. There's an FBI subpoena for it. So that exists. Um, but yeah, it was just strange to see Twitter act so quickly in a manner that's inconsistent with everything else that they do. Uh, and that's really where, where it's troubling for me is like, what, what was it, what is it that causes that to be the justification that Twitter gives for censoring this article? Um, because I mean, it's, I mean, it just, it's just so inconsistent with everything else that, occurs on Twitter. I mean, if the New York Times breaks a story based on leaked CIA memos, which happens every year, Twitter doesn't censor that. Twitter doesn't censor TMZ when they get a hold of someone's, some celebrities' inappropriate photos. Um, and so whether it is political or not, it feeds that narrative, that false narrative, in my opinion, that these social media companies are, uh, are are slanted against conservatives, and so it really, it just it creates a nightmare scenario where you have a generally conservative uh, outlet sharing uh, sharing this article about information that they found. It gets censored. Conservatives then feel hard done by. Conservatives then call for more regulations into the um, into what social media companies can and can't do in terms of censoring content. And it just creates that cycle where you have more of, of those on the right calling for increased government involvement in social media, which I'm certainly opposed to. Uh, but yeah, just a nightmare scenario all around. Yeah. So the, the person this is likely upsetting the most is Alexander Hamilton, who is the founder of the New York post <laughs> um, <Yeah. laughs> um, but you know, look, there's uh, so many angles to this. It has it has to do with the internet, with social media, and whether people are too dumb to understand what's happening online, and basically people who would like to decide for us what is good or bad. Now, while I think it's very dumb what these platforms did, and Twitter was not alone. Facebook did something very similar, and I think the guy who's in charge there. Uh, who's on Facebook comms, I, I guess for some reason put it on Twitter. And unless this is fake news, I, I'm not sure. I don't think so. Uh, but he's a guy who was one of the head over there at Facebook communication. And he said, hey, I'm not even going to link to this story from the New York Post. Uh, this is something that uh, our fact checkers will determine is not adequate and you know doesn't meet our standards, la, la, la. Look, Facebook and Twitter, huge mistakes. The bigger mistake would be allowing any type of over-regulation from any kind of department, any kind of agency, any state, any federal government that would try to put something out to remedy this, because it's going to be eight times as bad. Uh, look, Twitter already does not allow political advertising on its platform. And again, that's not just Donald Trump ads. That's you and me, David, when we're trying to influence policymakers. 
uh, when we're trying to talk about consumer choice in various areas. Facebook will be doing something very similar around election time. And all of these kind of rules are done because they have an incentive to, you know, avoid the pitchforks at the door. So how do they do that? Well, okay, we'll pass this rule, this regulation. We're going to put up a whole election information center page and presence. And and now they essentially become this quasi-government because they get all these requests from a lot of journalists, from governmental institutions. I mean, how often are these tech people uh, dragged before congressional committees nowadays? I mean, it's insane. And it's not just happening in the United States. This is happening in the UK. It's happening in Canada. It happens in Germany. Uh, throughout the world, everybody's trying to get you know their finger on this. And you know, it'd be really bad if we had this kind of uh, overregulation. I will say it's interesting that we're now in the merits of the stories, and that's kind of what we're censoring or editing. Because if you remember, David, it used to be the outlets or the links, right? If it was an InfoWars, Alex Jones conspiracy thing, anything InfoWars.com or whatever it was, uh, that would get automatically censored. New York Post is a reputable newspaper. It's been there for, again, almost 200 years. And uh, what, because of a particular story, that link will now be, I, that just seems like a little dangerous road, uh, for, for any kind of institution to take. And this is the thing that makes it so interesting. So that the person from Facebook is saying our fact checkers will determine that this is false. Well, Twitter's fact checkers didn't determine that it was false. They didn't, they didn't ban the article because it was false. They banned it because it had illegally obtained, in their mind, illegally obtained uh, documents and images. So I and actually, so, I tried this, by the way, David. I tried to link it, and it didn't work for me. Uh, this okay, was maybe, like yesterday. I don't know if it's because I was uh, in a different country or I was using a VPN or <laughs> my account is not important enough. <laughs> uh, but I, you I don't have enough followers. It could be, but then again, a lot of people were, you know, apparently complaining, and they didn't have many, and you know, it's the same thing. And you just don't like to see this. But let's put it all into perspective, people. Uh, how many, how many people are on Twitter of the U.S. population? How many people are online uh, who are quote always online or extremely online? And how many people just kind of go and use the internet every now and then to get information, to figure out what restaurant to go to, maybe to put ads online for their business? Uh, you know, because of, of the overreaction, I would say, of a lot of the, the more active people on these networks, we might get really bad regulation that's going to affect everyone else. And yeah, that ain't good. yeah. No, it certainly isn't. And it just creates this... It, I just... I wish that Twitter... Had, had stuck it like really ha held its ground on its terms and said no we are a platform obviously we are going to prohibit things that actively incite violence uh, but we're not going to get into the game of trying to be a misinformation checker on everything that's said and that's uh, kind of because... the request by many of these governmental agencies whenever they were hauled before them they said, hey, you need to put together some kind of election integrity unit. Uh, they have all these people in departments. And here's a little dirty secret about how these companies work. I mean, all these companies in the beginning were a bunch of tech bros. They were engineers. You know, these are guys who, who know more about Python than they know about philosophy or political philosophy. And, you know, when they started getting bigger and bigger, they had to hire people to kind of understand what was going on in the political realm. So many of these institutions and organizations, Twitter, Facebook, whatever it might be, they hire people from both left and right to kind of be the go-to people to understand what stuff is happening, what's going on, what is the appropriate role of the social media network here. Um, so there is somewhat of a balance when it comes to that. No doubt if you look at something like Twitter and if uh, I think you know this is a big point on they did on the Joe Rogan show, I mean, no doubt if you look at the entire... Uh, let's say, roster of Twitter employees, no doubt these guys are mostly voting for Democrats. Like, there's no no ifs, ands, or and buts about it, but it's not that's not the role of the company, right? That's just certain people who are there. And... Yeah, the, the answer to, well, most people who work at Twitter vote Democrat, sh the answer should be, who cares? It's a platform. Like, 
you post whatever you want on it. But when, when they kind of dip their toes into the censorship or fact checking game, that's when that, um, that statistic becomes problematic or at least becomes a talking point for people on the other side. Yeah, and uh, all the different remedies that are even discussed. I mean, I think the biggest way to complain about this is just to complain about it like we're doing now. Bring attention yeah. to it and hopefully they make their policies better, which is awesome because a private company can do that. And if they mm -hmm. hear that the consumers are pissed and don't like what's happening, they'll change their policy and they'll try to make it transparent. What happens with the government? Well, you can cry and scream and do all of that, but still there's a formal process. Uh, you can't do it because of this or that. Then there's this person's under re-election, so they're not going to pursue anything. So it's much easier to get a lot of these private companies because they're they have to deal with incentives. You know, they have to deal with revenue. They have to deal with shareholders. They have to deal with upset users. Uh, I mean, look at the congressional or look at the uh, approval ratings of the Congress. I mean, it's like the lowest of all time any institution in America. <laughs> but uh, you don't see the big changes going mm -hmm. there. So yeah, David, yeah, I, don't yeah. know if, I don't know if you have much more on that. There's uh, just one just yeah, one other ahead. thing when, when people say like, Oh, well, we need the government to regulate social media. Every time they say the government, they should replace that with if you're a Democrat, Donald Trump, or if you're a Republican, Joe Biden, or Kamala Harris, or AOC. You had to find so some. Like, you yes. had to find some tech savvy person. <laughs> so. Yeah, it'd be like, yes, Donald Trump should regulate the internet. Mm, I don't know how comfortable I feel about that. Or yes, AOC should regulate the internet. Mm, I don't think so either. Um, that's that's how it should be framed, and then I think immediately some people will <laughs> take a few steps back and realize that. Maybe that's not a great idea. So I think that, yeah, that's a good consumer choice radio grand conclusion is that, you know, we can call this out and say it's bad policy or bad ideas on behalf of these companies. Uh, but if, then if you want to invite different governmental regulators to go in there and try to muck it up, they're just going to make it worse and it'll probably end up impacting you. So just imagine, as David said, uh, essentially your worst political foe writing the rules and that's what you'll have. Yeah. Terrible. Yeah. Day. And on... On the note of political foes, uh, have you been watching any of the Supreme Court nomination? Oh, sure have. Yeah, I spent Oof. a good number of hours there tuned into uh, to C-SPAN. By the way, listeners, I tried to get David to listen to a bit more of C-SPAN. Uh, I, I just think it's great. In Canada, there's also CPAC TV, which is great. Yeah. Um, yep. But one thing I love is this Washington Journal program. And there was a bit of a scandal, David. We kind of missed it. Uh, but it's in the realm of of uh, social media a bit. I don't know if you, you caught it, but there was supposed to be a debate. I think it was supposed to be tonight, maybe even tonight or next week, a uh, presidential debate. And Yeah, the uh, one that got canceled because it went virtual and then Trump said no. And Yeah, so yeah. that was supposed to be moderated by Steve Scully of C-SPAN, who I've watched for many years. He's on the Washington Journal program uh, that people call into. <laughs> And what was funny is that you go to his Twitter page, and um, he he had a, a tweet that went out that said, at Anthony Scaramucci, talking to the mooch, and said, hey, should I respond to Trump? <laughs> and the idea was that he was trying to maybe send a direct message, because on Twitter you can hit D space and then do the, yeah. the username. Um, but then basically... Uh, this is a message to Scaramucci say, oh, should I respond to Trump maybe about the debate? And then what did the Commission on Presidential Debates do? Well, they came out and they said, oh, no, his Twitter got hacked. He was hacked. Oh, yeah, this is not a real, <laughs> real thing. He got hacked. It's like, oh, my good. Come on, guys. And uh, we learned later that uh, Scully, I didn't know this, had actually interned for Biden at one point. So, oh, whoops. Yeah. Oh, that's the kind of thing. All these guys know each other, you know, who are in the press corps in, in D.C. and New York. Um, you know, it's a big club, and you ain't in it. Yeah. yeah. Not yet, at least. So, yeah, back <laughs> to the uh, Supreme Court nomination. Yeah, I definitely did watch this. I think it's uh, it's interesting. It's not as bad as it was a couple of years ago, we remember, with the Kavanaugh stuff. Kavanaugh. Uh, yeah, there's a couple things. I mean, I, I didn't hear any questions on... Uh, you know, cannabis rules or anything like that. I don't know what what uh, kind of stuck out to you the most, uh, kind of watching these uh, hearings. Well, it, so one thing I find quite strange is 
there was always the question of what do you like how would you rule on on and then a topic is brought up and i think that that's a really silly question because the answer to all of those questions is well i would have to hear the case be argued and would make a judgment based on that like, and david you, you, te- you tend to run with lawyers you've met different uh, justices and you know people in that legal world yeah, you know, is that is that something that is kind of appropriate to ask, or what would be a better question to ask someone if you want them to be a judge? Well, I feel like if we have so Republicans, based on uh, ACB's last confirmation hearing, so her last confirmation hearing, which I think was in 2017, was very much about her religious views, uh, and Republicans were saying, "No, you can't question her religious views. That's not fair game." I disagree. I think that religion is like any other set of ideas, whether it be your political beliefs or whatnot, is something that's worthy of of uh, evaluation or criticism. But really, that matters in terms of how it's applied. So you you can you could ask the question based on your uh, personal convictions. Let's say about abortion. What is your like? The, what is your view on the court's justification of X? in Roe v. Wade? That would be an appropriate question. Or um, in this case, the Supreme Court ruled based on this premise that do you agree with that? You could ask those questions to get a feel for um, for where a- ACB stands in terms of how she views the law. That's, I think, fine. But what happens here is you have like, do you believe climate change is real? It's like, okay, that's a strange question. Uh, sure. It's like, okay, well, and then there'll be all sorts of other really like, well, do you think that, um, I'm trying to think of some of the other questions, but there was some just like strange, like, I need to know what you politically believe. And that's how I'm going to evaluate my opinion of you, which always seems quite strange to me because we're talking about a judge they don't make laws, they read and apply the law. And so I would have much preferred questions of, of how a judge is going to read or apply the law. Now that doesn't make for good TV. Um, and I think that, I mean, I, I don't know if I'm the only one who holds this view, but I would say that these nomination hearings should not be televised. Um, I would take them off TV because by putting them on TV, all pretty much the only thing said by senators of substance, uh, or there really isn't much of substance. It's mostly just like Kamala Harris's opening statement was basically just a five minute campaign ad. Oh, these things, these things are the, the absolute worst. And and I've, it's a joke. I've heard similar arguments as well of like, we shouldn't have these things, you know, be recorded anyway, because as you said, it's all theater and it's used in fundraising emails or videos and, Everybody's playing this big game and trying to showboat and ham it up. And <sighs> it's definitely true with these. I mean, uh, the worst, absolute worst, is uh, Senator Whitehouse from Rhode Island. This guy yes. comes with his own charts, got his own thing. I think the first day he just like sat there and, and chatted and talked and, and spun a, a big web of conspiracies. Didn't ask a single question. Didn't yeah. ask a single question at all, and and uh, there hasn't been much. He's just trying to make this nebulous, cloudy argumentation about the Federalist Society and all this funding, and it's like, yo, bro, you are actually showing right now the, the big issue with much of the legal profession, <laughs> and this is not just uh, right here in the context of this hearing. This is a this is a bigger deal. I don't know. That, that one really irked me. Yeah, it's just it, it just seems like a giant waste of time. Everybody has their vote already locked up. Nobody is asking any questions of substance that could potentially change a vote. Um, And people are using their time to basically like pat themselves on the back or campaign. And cool, we've just provided them with a bunch of free airtime. But it just, yeah, it just seems like a waste of time. And I can't help but think from someone who in this presidential election would be leaning left uh, in terms of Joe Biden, I can't help but think that these shenanigans for some people who watch it 
for centrist voters feels really icky yeah. and, and leaves a sour taste in your mouth in regards to the conduct uh, of Democrats in this confirmation hearing. Um, it's, it's just like and, uh, the other example that I can think of is uh, Cory Booker is asking ACB if she condemns white supremacy. First off, she has black children. So that's an absolutely wild question to ask. And, and secondly, she says, of course, as any sane person should. And then Cory Booker uses it as an opportunity to be like, well, I sure wish our president could. And then talks about Donald Trump. And it's like, what a weird, like, that was the segue you wanted to use so that you could pivot to criticize the president. It's like, what are we here for? Why are we even doing this? Well, for many people, it's just another opportunity uh, before Election Day to get their message out and, uh, you know, be able to have free airtime. There's definitely that. You know, it's very unfortunate. I think uh, there have been many off-the-record comments, and I even saw this on on your favorite channel, CNN, David, uh, where they asked them, they said, hey, uh, you know, in a normal circumstance— she's super qualified she'd probably get voted in 100 percent, right and everyone's like yeah yeah pretty much yeah 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 <laughs> so i mean if we all know this and everyone understands it and i mean why why do we even allow it and i think this is probably a very quick one uh i don't know when the last hearings are maybe it's thursday friday maybe it was earlier yeah. this week i don't really know uh but that is pretty quick uh, from what i've read comparatively to how it's been in the past which is probably good I mean, ideally, this has just been one or two days, but they have to give every 22 senators that are on this committee time to, you know, yak and yak for an hour <sighs> and then have their time um, reclaiming my time to be able to chat yeah. and talk and ask all this stuff and campaign and cheerlead. Uh, it's kind of gross. I'm happy it's going to be all this is over and uh, yeah. we can we can move on and. Uh, focus on the issues that actually matter. Um, by the there, way, in the in the background, there's you know a what is it a one point eight trillion dollar relief package just kind of waiting. Yeah, there <laughs> that they're not even cracking open. Real real quick, there was one other kind of example in this that really shows how hysterical things have gotten. There was a I forget which newspaper broke the story, but it was like sixty of ACB's colleagues at Notre Dame urge her to step down and not take the nomination. Oh, that sounds headlines, serious. Sounds serious, David. That's yeah. That headline sounds absolutely damning. You're like, Oh, okay. Her fellow law professors at the law school are calling for her to step down. Like, Ooh, okay. This might actually be worth our time. No, they're not her colleagues. They're ordinary undergraduate professors who have never even met her. They just happen to teach at Notre Dame. They never cross paths. Oh, they're in gender and, studies, English literature. Yeah, <laughs> I don't care. I don't care what the basket weaving professor at Notre Dame thinks about her nomination. I do not care. If a, uh, a an ethics professor in the law school or a constitutional law professor in the law school were to weigh in, okay, cool. I'd like to hear that. They don't. They aren't mm. because they do not see her as an objection, objectionable uh, person. And so even the reporting around that was just awful. Where it's like, guys, these are not colleagues. These are your run-of-the-mill undergraduate professors in completely unrelated and obscure departments, and you're amplifying their voice because they happen to teach at the undergraduate college that's at the same location as the law school, although they never cross paths and they never met each other. So let's actually stay on this because I actually did, I saw this story and I had a, uh, a person, I'll say this, a person on Facebook who shared a graphic that said exactly what you just said, David. Like all these people from Notre Dame uh, condemn her and tell her to withdraw her nomination. And that was it. That was the only context and it was the graphic. And uh, this is someone on Facebook um, whom I know who normally just shares these kind of things. You kind of, um, whenever whenever you, you put out ads, there's a category of people who tend to share liberal material. And uh, that's yes. definitely one of those. Yeah. And then basically I just went in there and said, hey, uh, this is kind of fake news because these are people who've never met her. And here's a link to another story where it says these are all people from like humanities things that have nothing to do with it. 
Uh, yeah. Now that is fact checking social media yes. networks. <laughs> now we don't want a world where that is is the norm, and all of a sudden every graphic and every link and everything has to be fact checked in that certain way. But we need to put out that information. And let's let's go through some other examples, David, because there's one that you always bring up. Uh, this is the the Romney putting his dog on the car. Oh, which is which is you've probably heard me tell this story in person. I don't know how many times, at least five or six, because I see your eyes roll every time I tell this story. Um, I'll, br- I'll s- briefly summarize it. Um, so we were in Toronto watching the election results uh, in the last election. And as the results were coming in, obviously we were consuming alcohol. A time was being had by all. Um, you could kind of feel the 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 cloud of a trump victory come in and uh one of this this elderly lady who was sitting fairly close to me she said well is trump going to win and i said yeah i think he's won Uh, i think he's going to win this and she kind of looked really distraught and i said wow don't we miss mitt romney and she looked at me and she goes wait you mean the guy that put his car on or his 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 dog on the roof of the car on his family vacation. And it's like, Oh no, yep. no, no, this is exactly like what we're talking about. Um, so I wanted you to tell that story because I had a, a similar experience with, um, I'll just say a family member speaking on the phone and uh, family members telling me, talking to me about, cause this is what happens when you're involved a little bit in politics. Everyone wants to tell you their, their opinion all the time. Uh, and uh, she's talking to me about what happened. He goes, it's just atrocious, right? Uh, the Republicans, you know, what they did is illegal. Uh, Trump nominates this uh, nominee for the Supreme Court, totally illegal, and they're going to try to vote on her and ram her in there. I'm like, where'd you get this information? It's like, oh, well, it's the reporter on TV that said it on uh, XY station. And I said, well, that's that's garbage because the only rule is the Constitution. And uh, that says that anytime the president appoints someone— yeah then it's just up to the Senate to confirm this person. That's it. That's like the only rule. And it's as if we recreate reality. And, I mean, I understand why that story exists. Because it was a political circumstance whenever it was, you know, four, six years ago when Obama was trying to put up his nominee. The Republicans invented this thing like, okay, the American people deserve a vote on this. You shouldn't. And it's all politics. It's all contrived. And then it becomes cemented in in our brains, or at least reproduced in media, that that's how it is, and those are the rules. And uh, because yeah. they did that, it's so bad. And I can just and, imagine that's one that I debunk. That I guess I debunk two stories. But could you imagine, David, if we just sat around all day just debunking stuff? How terrible that would be. That's not true. And and the thing is, on this is like Mitch McConnell can be a Grand Canyon-sized hypocrite. And that still doesn't make what Trump is doing illegal. Yes, he is a hypocrite. And his hypocrisy is there for the world to see. But the Democrats are following this up with their own layer of hypocrisy by saying, well, we should have, it was okay for us to nominate Merrick Garland, but it's not okay for Trump to basically do the same thing. And so there's hypocrisy on both sides. And what this is how I know some are good people. Yeah, 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 so, yeah exactly. <laughs> so this is it's just, we have some friends who are politically in tune. They consume politics on a fairly regular basis. They watch the debate. They're as about I would argue about as anti-Trump as you could imagine. But even in the debate, when they talked about the Supreme Court, my friends concluded they're like, "Well, Trump is right." I mean. He's the president for four years. He gets like, his term's not over. Why wouldn't he nominate a Supreme Court judge? Huh. <laughs> and I'm and I'm sitting there going, exactly. So again, this is one of those things where does the behavior of Democrats leave a sour taste in the mouth of centrist voters? I don't know. Um, I think it certainly could. I mean, we saw some of that backlash in regards to Kavanaugh. We could see some of that backlash 
Uh, we saw some of that backlash in regards to the impeachment um, process and, and what that became. Uh, we could see it here. Is it going to make a difference in terms of the election? I don't think so. Uh, the polls look pretty bad for the president right now. Um, so I don't know if it's going to actually make any difference at all. Um, but you like, surely there's got to be somebody in the room in the DNC who goes, maybe we should just cool our jets here a little bit because every time we kind of bang this drum, we just open ourselves up for more criticism. Like the American people kind of like us right now. Maybe let's roll with that and not kind of keep beating uh, this drum and, and behaving in such a weird way. I don't know. I don't know what your take is on this. If you have, uh, yeah, I mean, if you look, have friends or family who, who find this behavior particularly uh, disturbing. but Yeah, and just... I, I think, look, it behooves all of us to check in with uh, people who don't follow this, you know, for their job or day-to-day and understand a bit what is, what is making its way through the wire, uh, what are people understanding, and, you know, I have to say in the last two, three years, it's really filtered by what TV station these, these people watch. It's by what newspaper, you know, thing they're seeing or what Facebook page they follow. And it's just tough to say. I don't know. I don't know what an average voter is anymore because, uh, you know, the people who I know who, who don't like politics, you know, they'll chime in. They don't really know too much about the, the story or this. And who knows really who they'll vote for at the end of the day. And, uh, you know, these polls, uh, we hear this again and again, but I don't know, man. <laughs> I'm not very confident in in uh, in the polls uh, that have been kind of put together. I think maybe we get to such a point that there, our country is so complicated and complex and, and really heterodox that it's really difficult to make sure these polls are super accurate. And maybe they, they do have to say it. Then again, poll companies are... Normally, private institutions, they have incentives to get things right. Uh, but, man, I, I don't know if the shy Tory effect of people who are secret Trump voters is going to happen. Yeah, I guess, uh, well, I'll I guess say we'll, this. We'll, if, see, we'll see by next month we'll be uh, arguing yeah. about it ad nauseum. If, if Trump does win, then I think that the, the polling industry en masse, unless they track it, they see like a red wave kind of come through in the next three, four weeks, um, they're going to have to basically reevaluate how they're doing things. Because right now, I think I checked yesterday, Trump's up up in pretty much every battleground state, or uh, Biden is up in pretty much every battleground state. Um, So if if those numbers hold and Trump wins, uh, and and those numbers are obviously off, there's going to have to be some sort of reckoning internally in terms of how they how they evaluate this. Uh, I don't reckoning of good. grand proportions. Yeah, yeah <laughs> exactly. I would hope so. Uh, we'll yeah. see. I mean, look, David, you and I have done some polling. You know, we've commissioned a few polls. Yeah. We kind of see how the, the sausage is made there. Uh, it's really interesting, and it is, you know, not, I mean, it's not scientific, but it's, there's a lot of thought that goes into it, who you're calling, mm-hmm. the demographics, the ages, men, women, uh, college-educated, non-college, and there's a lot that goes into it. And again, mm-hmm. these are private companies, and they really do have an incentive to be sure they have a good product, uh, but they're really being tested right now. And who knows? Uh, big thing. So we we have... Uh, all right, so we have the New York Post stuff, social media. We had the uh, stuff with the Senate and Amy Comey Barrett up as a Supreme Court justice, perhaps. And uh, another article that I wanted to mention is one that I got published early on Monday about lockdowns. I know this is yes. a, it's a big deal for a lot of people. Uh, many people are very upset, particularly those who own businesses or those whose jobs are reliant upon, let's say, the service or the hospitality industries. It turns out that the World Health Organization, the people at the very beginning, uh, who we, uh, we always fawningly mention on this program, <laughs> uh, they came out in, uh, in recent statements and said that lockdowns uh, were actually very harmful to poor people. And the quote uh, from one David Nabarro, who is the special envoy on COVID-19, uh, the Carol Baskins virus, uh, told the Spectator UK, quote, lockdowns have just one consequence that you must never, ever belittle, and that is making poor people an awful lot 
poorer. And then you had Dr. Mm-hmm. Michael Ryan, who I believe is Irish, director of the Health Emergencies Program over there at the World Health Organization, said, quote, what we try and avoid, and sometimes it's unavoidable and we have to accept that, but what we want to try and avoid is these massive lockdowns that are so punishing to communities, to society, and to everyone else. What I mean, is yeah, going on? It's, it's, it's one of those things where it's like, obviously putting your population on house arrest is going to have some negative repercussions. And I think that this is the thing that has been largely missed in our discussions about lockdowns and, and, and all of those, like, what do we do? When do we do it? How severe is it? What are people allowed to do? Do we implement a curfew, which France has just re-implemented? The big thing is, is there evidence for it? And can we reasonably do a cost-benefit analysis. And I feel like a lot of the time we don't do a cost-benefit analysis of like, there, there is a limit, there is a point in which a proposed lockdown would not be worth it. And a lot of people I think have the horse blinders on and solely view this from the lens of, well, we have to keep in the infection rate near zero and we gotta do whatever it takes to keep it near zero. And you forget the unseen consequences of that, which is obviously business closures, depression, suicide, uh, spousal abuse, uh, all of those things which are incredibly problematic. You have cancer screenings that are down. You have uh, necessary surgeries that have been postponed that have cost lives. It's just, there's a long list of what the consequences are here. And I think too often we forget that on the other side of the equation, um, there are there are negatives that are going to happen. Sometimes they might be worth it, uh, but a lot of the times they might not. And I think this is going to be what we really grapple with, uh, especially over Christmas, because if if governments are saying, okay, well, you can't go, you can't see your family for Christmas, uh, I mean, people are going to react to that how they see appropriate. And if they think that that's an overreach, they're probably still going to go see their family for Christmas. Ah, oh, uh, man, this is, it's, it's, uh, it's not good. Just imagine how much your own life has changed, how much you've limited going out, going out to restaurants, going out to bars, seeing friends. Uh, I mean, there are so many businesses that I used to frequent on a weekly basis that I have not been to in months. And just imagine how much these guys are suffering. And how much their entire businesses rely on people just coming and going, uh, other people that might be picking up products or people might be stopping in. I mean, this is just, it's devastating to think of. And the fact that we just had very bad, I think it was a, it was just a really bad idea at the beginning. The idea was, oh, we need to lock down, make sure we don't have our hospitals overrun. But you're right, there was no cost-benefit analysis in the very beginning to say, you know, it's never been tried in human history to basically force everybody to stay home, not allow commercial activity. Uh, We're just going to go ahead and do that now. (laughs) Well, yeah, and it wasn't regional, right? There There are, if I think of where I live, I mean, Toronto is now a hot spot. Uh, North of Toronto, there are areas that haven't had cases in months or weeks and i th- I actually just and, spoke to my my grandfather yesterday he told me in his neck of the woods um out near uh, ottawa there they haven't had anything at all no cases and yeah, yeah he's he's suffering under the same lockdowns you are yeah and so i mean that's the thing is is whatever the next steps are they have to be done on a regional basis based on evidence based on our hospitalization rates increasing at a rate that is worrisome. Uh, What are the ICU occupancy rates look like? Uh, How is this progressing in terms of the severity of infections? You can't just take the case number and go, oh, okay, well, the province of Ontario had over a thousand cases yesterday, so we're going to go back to stage two and basically close everything inside. You can do curbside pickup, but that's it. Um, and no groups and don't hang out outside, don't do all of the other things that we've kind of started to enjoy over the summer. Um, you, if you're going to reinstate any of these measures, they have to be regional. And I hope at the same time, 
we have our senses about us where we don't continue the crazy process of like ticketing people in parks. Yeah. Uh, because there's, there are not many things in, in that style of a lockdown. There are not many things that can keep people sane. Um, and when you're giving people $900 fines for rollerblading in a parking lot, in an empty parking lot, uh, it just seems incredibly cruel all things considered. And I've seen, I've seen uh, videos now of uh, in Spain and in Greece of people being ticketed for not wearing their masks correctly in certain areas. And would you know it, the officers arresting them have the mask like over their mouth, but not their nose, got their big honker yeah. of a nose sticking out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like if the, the bad thing that we're doing here is we're empowering our, our different governments to try to enforce these laws, which any any competent court, um, and this has happened in several U.S. states, any competent court that actually looks at many of these lockdown measures just says, like, uh-uh, no. That's against really—you can balance health and freedom as much as possible, but this is, like, way too much in a sort of uh, tyrannical direction. Uh, you know, yep. we have to have a measure of, of responsibility. I mean, what you say and, about regionalism, I mean, it's it's huge. It's the same in the state of North Carolina. It's the same in uh, different parts of Austria. Uh, look, there are cities and towns that are not doing well, uh, but then, like, there are entire population centers of hundreds of thousands of people or sometimes millions of people where you don't have that same problem. So why should you have to suffer under the same lockdown consequences? Yeah, and I, I think it was John Mackey, the CEO of Whole Foods, who basically said the same thing who was like, yeah, at the end of the day, we can't do this forever. And we're going to have to, at some point, leave this to individual choices and responsibilities. Uh, that bothered a lot of people. But again, there is a point in time. I mean, if, I, if, if we are having this conversation in, let's say, one year's time, there's no vaccine yet, we're having this conversation in a year, the general consensus is going to be, okay, well, we just, this is something we have to live with, um, which I knock on wood is not going to be what happens, but who knows? <laughs> yeah, that wouldn't, it would not be a, a good time at all because then that means that we would have to do yet another year of talking about this stuff and dealing with the consequences rather than talking about the good things that we're doing in our society, the awesome things that are happening around the world there'd probably be less uh, opportunity for strife. Um, I know one sort of theory that was thrown about as to why during the summer there were, you know, these mass protests and Black Lives Matter events. I mean, obviously the current injustice of the criminal justice system is one, but also the fact that people have been locked in for months. And here was an opportunity where you could go out and defy these orders. You could go out in public and actually do stuff and seemingly, it seemed the government officials were okay with it, if, if it was the right reason. Uh, now, if you were protesting the lockdown itself, like in Michigan or something, oh, no, 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 you're going to be arrested right away. But, man, I I would hope that we're not still in this scenario. David, I know that you and I, we've been cooking up a lot of great ideas, doing research, figuring out small reforms, ways to make our lives better. Uh, the COVID hammer has really made things tough. And, uh, you know, we're in a position where we're able to talk about this and we're still able to keep going. But many people still don't have jobs. Uh, they've had their work opportunities really reduced. They're not able to go out as they, as they used to. They're not able to see their loved ones. I mean, you have to talk on the phone like I had to with my grandparents. Not sure the next time I'll ever see them. And, uh, you know, they're not young. And that's not just because of, uh, you know, regulations about people not being allowed in certain places, but travel as well. And the, yep. I think that's one of the biggest uh, casualties that we'll have is travel. There's one story mm -hmm. um, that I, I wanted to actually get your take on. My cousin sent me this, uh, and it does have to do with that great place of Canada. Give me a break. They can't have news. Nothing happens in Canada. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> this story was about, uh, it was a, a Canadian woman who went, was driving to the border and attempted to get to the American side. I think she's trying to meet her son in New York or something like this. And uh, unfortunately, the Canadian government told her, no, we're not going to allow you to do that. Uh, or the, the American agents told her that. So then she had to turn around, went back to uh, the Canadian border agents who are not more than, let's say, 50 feet away. And uh, when she arrives, they told her, oh, 
well, it looks like you technically left Canada, so you're going to have to quarantine for two weeks. She goes, what? <laughs> I haven't left my car. I, I just went like, to, to the U.S. Uh, guys, and they told me to turn around. She goes, uh, like, sorry, the, them there's the rules. It's like, guys, I, I did a U-turn on the bridge. Doesn't matter. So she had to go it's, quarantine for two weeks. Uh, it's so it's, strict there. It's funny. I had a similar experience once at the airport at the border. For anyone who's traveled from Canada to the United States, you'll know that in Toronto, you actually clear U.S. customs before you get on the plane. And so I cleared U.S. customs on a flight to New Orleans. That flight to New Orleans got canceled. And I got rebooked on a flight to Chicago and then to New Orleans, which was in a separate terminal. So I had to leave the terminal. And as I was leaving, customs officials were like, whoa, 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 where do you think you're going? You got to get you got to get in line and clear Canadian customs. And I was like, guys, I didn't leave the country. I didn't leave the airport. And they're like, nope. As soon as you cleared, as soon as you crossed that line, you were you you were no longer in Canada. And so now you got to come back, fill out the paperwork, let us know if you bought any tobacco or alcohol. And it's like, well, I, I, I didn't. I mean, <laughs> I'm right here. That's all I I'm did. right here. You, you mean I can't just like go to the trip? No, you got to redo customs again. So I feel for that lady because that that's, that sucks. Yeah, and then having come on, having to quarantine for two weeks, you stayed in your car the whole time. Um, but apparently, yeah. the the article that I read was a CBC. I think they said that had she gone on a plane and and like been denied boarding, then that would not have been the case. But again, your story tells me maybe it would have been totally different. I, don't well, I can know. tell you she would have had to reclear customs. I don't know if they yeah. would have counted it for the quarantine, but yeah, who knows? I mean, and all what did of this you could do be during solved. those 15 minutes abroad. <laughs> yeah, it's like I got a sandwich at Panera Bread in Canada. Mm, mm, did you use a know. Canadian card or did you use American currency? Yeah. Yeah, question. it's bad. So that's that's the whole lockdown mess and, and many of this stuff. The article is well, on fee.org, by the way. We'll link to that in our show notes. Um, and this would be solved real quick. This would be solved by airport tests. Airport testing. Yeah. Yeah. Just rapid tests at airports. Oh, you can relatively, well, for the most part, open up regional and national air travel um, without some of these quarantine measures. If you have these rapid tests, when you get on the plane or when you get off. And I mean, I think it's some of the, I want to say Polynesian islands or um, or the Maldives. In order to try and continue to attract tourists, you, you get tested as soon as you land. You get escorted to your hotel. They make you stay in quarantine for, I think it is for the remainder of that day until the following day. And then you get tested again. And as soon as you have those two negative tests, you're good to go. Hmm. You can enjoy the resort and do your thing. And it's like, you could very easily do something like that um, anywhere. I mean, in Canada, the Atlantic provinces have basically shut themselves out. Um, you have to quarantine. Like if I flew to Vienna, I have to quarantine. If I fly to Prince Edward Island, I have to quarantine. I have to, uh, I have to apply with the province of PEI to travel to a Canadian province, which for Americans probably sounds absolutely mind boggling because imagine having to apply to go to North Dakota or something. Um, so yeah, there's I mean, a lot of people who'd like to do that, by the way. Well, yeah, <laughs> True. Hey, we don't want your top around here. Get out of here. You turn around. Don't come yeah. back. Yeah. And that's a travesty. I would, I really sincerely hope that these travel restrictions are the first thing that are eased. Um, I mean, obviously businesses and all the rest I mean, come on. Let's not have this joke anymore, guys. World Health Organization has said, and uh, it's not that we agree with these guys very often. Very often they get it wrong. But here, after many months of uh, analyzing the data and looking at the numbers and realizing that poor people are actually getting more worse off, it's a terrible, it's a bad idea. David, I don't know what more to say about that, man. It's a... Uh, that got me down, but I know there's uh, there are some sunshine uh, good stories out there that uh, at least are keeping us a bit, you know, attuned. It's not all just politics and uh, bad yeah. rain clouds of lockdowns. There is some, some I, good and funny stuff that's happening. I do have one good story. Uh, the Ford government here in Ontario ha will be legalizing alcohol delivery from restaurants permanently. 
Hallelujah. That's great. <laughs> that's great. And then now we need a couple of apps to make sure that's facilitated. Um, yes. This is something I think I've told you before, David. This is something I routinely do. You know, if we're to order food here in Vienna, um, you know, even if it's a, a sushi restaurant, I can just scroll down the app. I hit add to cart and I can get my favorite beer, bottle of wine, uh, whatever I want. If they do have liquor bottles, sometimes those will be there. Um, it depends on the establishment, but the ease of doing that, I mean, that is the the greatest of consumer freedoms in 2020. It, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. It's, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it can be expensive, but in terms of convenience, if you want to order a bottle of wine with your, your, your dinner or, or what have you, I mean, it's one of those things where when you ask people, I haven't met anyone who thought that that was a bad idea. Like I haven't met anyone who was like, Hmm, we should actually keep that banned. Almost everyone is like, Oh, why did we have that? I mean, you can drive yourself to the liquor store. So why couldn't they just deliver it to you? <laughs> mm. And what, what would be the, the first drink that you would order this way? If you haven't already. Ooh. Um, I think the one thing I said this before, the one thing that I am, uh, have kind of missed is a very nicely crafted cocktail, like a Manhattan or a Negroni that's done right. That would be probably what I would order. I don't know. What, what would you get? You know, I'd probably try to get a, uh, a gimlet, you know, something with a nice little lime flavor. I mean, Jacob Greer, last week's guest could, could probably whip this up in three seconds, but Something like that, I think, would be really good. I, this is the thing: is when you're normally grocery shopping and you know buying this stuff, you don't you don't ever think about these other ingredients and what you need to mix. And that's why we need awesome bartenders who can do this for us, and then we pay them for that service. <laughs> so yeah, probably a gimlet. You know, I think bourbon ginger is easy enough. I we can do that yeah, at home, yeah. not a problem. But any of the special stuff, you know, with a, an orange peel and all the rest. Yeah, that's a whole other level. Yeah, and and before we close for today's show, we couldn't not mention Bill Burr's absolutely wonderful monologue on Saturday Night Live. I, if you have not listened to it, please go YouTube his opening monologue because it was picture me doing a chef's kiss. It was magnificent i don't know if you thought the same but i i mean i'm a big big bill burr fan to begin with um and i just loved it he managed to piss everybody off uh it was it and i think for all of those who were upset the 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 uh the saying goes those who were yeah if you didn't like the joke you are the joke (laughs) that's good here's a here's a small treat i'm going to go ahead and include that um, in the podcast version of this program. So if you're listening live, uh, head on over to consumerchoiceradio.com. Look at those huge subscribe buttons. And uh, if you are listening and you do subscribe to the podcast version, you'll get the full Bill Burr stand-up version. You don't have to go anywhere. It'll be right there on the Consumer Choice Radio program that comes in on your podcast app. So that's going to be awesome. Uh, it's been a blast. We didn't have a guest this week, so we had to entertain each other for an hour. Um, I hope that our listeners appreciated that. And we hope to have uh, possibly a former governor of a Southern state on one of our uh, next shows. I can't confirm quite yet, but it does look like we will be hosting um, a a former governor uh, of a Southern state that may or may not border North Carolina. Um, so I'll, I'll let people uh, try and piece together who that could be. And that does it for Consumer Choice Radio here on the Big Talker, 106.7 FM. Thank you for joining us for the hour and for all the other past shows and archives. Check out Consumer Choice Radio for much more. And as always, if you are listening online through your favorite podcast app, we appreciate that. Be sure to like and subscribe to the podcast uh, and follow us on Twitter at Consumer C Radio. Uh, thanks again. Ladies and gentlemen, Bill Burr.
am so excited to be here. I have been doing stand-up forever. And this has always been a lifelong dream of mine to come here and host Saturday Night Live. So thank you so much for coming out. Coming out. During, during these difficult times, you guys all look like surgeons with your masks on. Makes me feel comfortable that you're wearing masks. I like people who wear masks. That's good. You're listening to the eggheads, the people we all cheated off of in high school, right? <laughs> Keep listening to them. And then if you don't wear a mask, that doesn't bug me either, right? Take out your grandparents, you know? <laughs> Take out your weak cousin with the asthma. I don't care. It's your decision. There's too many people. It's a dream come true. If you're that dumb, and you want to kill your own family members, by all means, do it. Stops you from reproducing. It's literally a dream come true. And speaking of dreams come true, did you see Rick Moranis got sucker punched on the Upper West Side? <laughs> New York is back, baby! New York is back, yes! We lost our edge there for a minute. City started looking like a giant bed, bath, and beyond, and then BAM! Oh, Ricky took one in the chops. It had to happen. It had to That's what happens when you stick an M&M store in Times Square. All right? The universe has to balance itself. Get the peep shows back in Times Square, old people can walk safely 40 blocks away. I don't know. I'll probably get canceled for doing that joke, you know? How stupid is that cancel thing? They're literally running out of people to cancel. They're going after dead people now. They're trying to cancel John Wayne. It's like, yeah, dude, God did that 40 years ago. They're all up in arms. They're like, did you hear what he said in that interview in Playboy in 1970? Can you believe that? It's like, yeah. He was born in 1907. That's what these people sounded like. You never talked to your grandparents and brought up the wrong subject, and all of a sudden it went off the rails. Like, oh, oh, grandma. Just keep making the cookies. Yeah, you don't bring up race or religion with your grandparents. You keep it simple. Anyway, I don't know. I know, I guess my grandparents are older. I don't know. Plowing ahead. <laughs> Plowing ahead. Let's, let's, talk, uh, let's talk white women here, shall we? Let's talk white women. White women, you're amazing. Amazing your accomplishments over the last few years. I got to tell you, the way white women somehow hijack the woke movement, generals around the world should be analyzing this. Just to refresh your memory, the woke movement was supposed to be about people of color not getting opportunities, the at-bats that they deserved, finally making that happen. And it was about that for about eight seconds. And then somehow, white women swung their Gucci-booted feet over the fence of oppression and stuck themselves at the front of the line. I don't know how they did it. I've never heard so much complaining in my life from white women. My life is so hard with my SUV and my heated seats. You have no idea what it's like to be me. Trashing white guys. The nerve, where's the camera? The nerve of you white women. Let me, I, listen, I don't want to speak ill of my bitches here, okay? I don't, but let's, let's go back in history here, okay? You guys stood by us toxic white males through centuries of our crimes against humanity. You rolled around in the blood muddy, and occasionally when you wanted to sneak off and hook up with a black dude, if you got caught, you said it wasn't consensual. Yeah, that's what you did. That's what you did. So why don't you shut up, sit down next to me, and take your talking to. <laughs> Thank you. So, I haven't been in New York for about a year, you know. I was, uh, I was here last year. I was shooting a movie. Had a great time with Judd Apatow, Pete Davidson, and all the guys. Yeah, had a great time. 
And I hadn't been here in like 13 years, and I immediately noticed how extra crowded the city was. And I was getting all claustrophobic. I'm like, what's going on? How much some people not using safe sex and making all these babies, you know? <laughs> so I finally walked up to this old New York door guy, and I was just like, dude, what's going on? What's with all these people here? And he was just like, oh, no, 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 don't worry. He goes, it's June. He goes, it's Pride Month. And I'm like, what's that? You know, I'm 52. I never heard of it, right? <laughs> they didn't have that when I was a kid. He goes, oh, it's Gay Pride Month. And I was just like, oh! <laughs> Dude, you know when you're just like stuck in the matrix and you just can't, everything's just pressed up, you can't see anything, and then somebody gives you that little nugget of information that just pulls it back? You're like, why is it so crowded? It's Gay Pride Month. Ah, tank tops. 0% body fat. Two guys kissing. Rainbow flags. Ah! I didn't know that. That's what I learned. The month of June is Gay Pride Month. That's a little long, don't you think? For a group of people that were never enslaved. How did, how did they get all of June? Dude, black people were actually enslaved. They get February. They get 28 days of overcast weather. Sun goes down at four in the afternoon. Everybody's shivering. Nobody wants to go on the parade. Look, yeah. How about you hook them up with July? These are equator people. Give them the sun for 31 days. This gay black people, they could celebrate from June 1st, June 31st, 30, 61 days of celebrating. All right, that's all my time. We got a great show for you guys, everybody. Jack White is here.